Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Are you ready for some football? Well, Walters is, and Walters has all of the games for you all weekend long. Reservations are limited and can be found on all Walters social media channels. Walk-ins will also be available, but will be on a first-come, first-serve basis. Don't get left out and make your reservation today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch behind Freeman of the backstop. Big carom back to Ruiz. And it carom back so quickly that Solaire stays at first base. Well, I think there was that was uh, back to last night and he missed him. Freddie okay. Freeman just said, I, I read his lips, he said one chance. I think that was a purpose pitch and Nolan missed him. Now the set. Nolan delivers. Inside and it hit him in the right hip. Well, now, now he's risking ejection because he did it a second time because he missed the first time. And Lance Barksdale is coming out to talk to Ted Barrett, the crew chief and second base umpire. They, they, they could eject him without warning. I guess you could say the best thing when you're trying to do that is don't miss the first time. Right. He, he, <laughs> and he just got and, yeah. tossed. He got ejected. Here's the wind of the pitch. Swinging a long drive right center field. Way back goes this one. Going, going, and long, long gone. About 10 rows deep into the seats over the big wall in right center field. Juan Soto with homer number 25 gives the Nationals the lead back 3-2. And doesn't that feel oh so good after taking a fastball on the ribs in the ninth inning last night? Juan Soto put that one into orbit to put the Nationals back in front. And he enjoyed circling the bases, I assure you. And welcome to Nat Chat for Thursday, September 9th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it has been a national season that has pretty much given us everything, including things that you could have never imagined, like a game being suspended due to gunshots outside of Nationals Park, but something that we had not yet had in this topsy-turvy, very unpredictable national season had been a bean brawl had been a contentious exchanging of hit-by-pitches. And while we still have not had a brawl, we have now had a contentious exchanging of hit-by-pitches. Although as contentious exchanging of hit-by-pitches go, this was about as peaceful and amicable as you'll ever see. But we got that and then some in the Nationals' win at the Atlanta Braves on Wednesday night, a 4-2 Nationals victory, a game that goes down for a lot of different reasons, but principal among them, Sean Nolan perhaps earning his stripes as a Washington National. He entered this season having not pitched in the majors in a regular season game 
since October 2015. And if this is it for him this season, he can at least say that he stood up for Juan Soto, Mark. Yeah, he'll, he has that going for him, Al, I guess. Got to throw all of eight pitches in this game, two of them thrown directly at Freddie Freeman, the first one missing him behind his head, the second one hitting him on the hip. And that was the end of his night. And depending on what happens in the next 24 hours or so, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen here. There's potential for a suspension by MLB, which does not typically like when pitchers intentionally throw at hitters and frequently gives them a suspension of about seven games is sort of the typical uh, time frame for that. He also is in danger of being optioned to AAA anyways, because it looks like they're going to give Josh Rogers a chance to start again, so they don't really need another starter. But as Davey Martinez also put it after the game, because they had to use so many relievers to give him eight and two thirds innings, he may have to ask some of these guys to pitch on Thursday. And that could include Josh Rogers and Sean Nolan. We're going to talk to him and he might have to be available tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to actually going to talk to Sean Nolan and uh, see if he could be available for a few innings tomorrow. So if he's still on the active roster and he hasn't been suspended, it's possible he could pitch again before the series is up, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. So let's set all this up. Tuesday night in that Nats 8-5 loss at the Braves, Juan Soto with one out in the top of the ninth received a hit-by-pitch from Braves reliever Will Smith. Fastball inside hits Soto in the ribs. That hurt. He's trying to catch his breath right now as he jogs toward first base. Those two have some history uh, from last year, and Soto seldom gets hit by a pitch. Smith got upset last year in a game in Atlanta when Soto was standing close to the plate watching him warm up. Basically yelled at him and said, get get out of the way, and then Soto hit a 450-foot home run off of him. And, that one got and, him then, and the, then Smith was screaming at him. Got him in the ribs and the, the back. From almost any other pitcher, you really would not have thought twice about this, but there is a history between Soto and Smith. You fast forward to Wednesday night. Nolan is the Nats starting pitcher in this eventual 4-2 win at the Braves. Nolan, like we just said, only lasts for a third of an inning. Bottom of the first, Jorge Soler on first off a one-out single. Nolan throws behind Freddie Freeman on the first pitch of a plate appearance in what was an obvious purpose pitch. This is Atlanta, the only home for Braves baseball. Hi, this is Freddie Freeman, and you're listening to The Fan, 680 and 93-7. Offering to Freddie all the way to the backstop, and there's your fallout, I believe, Joe. I think it was. Threw behind Freddie Freeman with the first pitch and airmailed it to the backstop. When you miss, is that your shot? Should be. Be stupid to do it again. Mm-hmm. Nolan, very interestingly, at least not to the naked eye watching the game on television, did not receive a warning. Nothing like that. Nothing was said, at least as far as we could tell. And then Nolan hit Freeman on his right hip on the next pitch. Offering on the way, and that hits Freddie Freeman. Obviously intentional. First pitch, airmail to the backstop, and with a second pitch, he got him. And now the umpires are going to come together. Nolan was eventually ejected from the game. We know that umpires now have the latitude to read intent in a situation like this. This was obvious retaliation for what happened the previous night. But interestingly, there was no confrontation. Freeman did not charge the mound. We did not have benches and bullpens emptying or anything like that. Heck, Davey Martinez didn't even come out to argue. That has to do with him being on crutches due to that recent procedure. But it was interesting. If you can read lips, you could have read Davey's lips watching that game on television. The home plate umpire, Lance Barksdale, you very clearly saw Davey say to Lance, uh, Lance, what the F 
is going on. But there wasn't an argument to be made here. It was as clear as could be that Nolan was throwing at Freeman. But like I said, this was like a peaceful occurrence. We even saw Soto and Freeman walking off the field stride for stride with each other and talking to each other after the end of the bottom of the first inning. So like there was no brutality or violence or anything like that. This is like if you ever had to teach nursery school kids how to engage in a hit-by-pitch battle, this is what you would teach them. You sound disappointed, Al. Were you looking for blood? A little bit, yes. (laughs) I wanted some violence in this game, yes. So, look, I think if you were to talk to a, let's call him a baseball traditionalist who believes in this sort of thing, they would tell you that everybody handled this exactly the way you're supposed to handle it that it was done beautifully, that you hit our guy, so we're going to hit your guy, and then that's it. Let the players settle it. Nothing else ends up happening, and there's no brawl, and this will be the end of it. So I guess good on all them for handling it the right way, quote-unquote, on that one. Now, my personal opinion of this, I'm never going to understand or be a fan of beanball wars, especially things like this. I've never grasped the concept of You hit our best player, so now we have to hit your best player. What did Freddie Freeman do to anybody? They adore Freddie Freeman. They respect him. He kills them every year at the plate over and over, but they have a ton of respect for him. Now, Davey Martinez insists that he's never told a pitcher to throw at anybody. You know, I never tell anybody to hit anybody, ever. And I have the utmost respect for Freddie. Take him at his word or leave it. Sean Nolan insists he wasn't purposely throwing at him. Happens. Balls slip out of your, you know, out of your hand. Rosin for me doesn't do much, but... um. You're not trying to send a message with those pitches. No, I wasn't. Take him for his word or leave it, whatever the case. But what I'm just left with is, okay, what was accomplished? What is the goal there? What are you ultimately accomplishing from throwing at him? And I guess Sean Nolan has earned the respect of his clubhouse, if that was an important thing to be done. I guess the Braves, specifically Will Smith, know, well, we're never going to throw at Juan Soto again. Not that I think they would have. I think the Braves themselves were probably upset at him for doing that if it was a personal grudge. And what you also did was you left your bullpen, which as we've been talking about, has been overused, not by anybody's fault, but it's because the rotation hasn't been any good. And now you're asking that group to give you 26 outs against a really good lineup. Now they did it. They did a fantastic job to win this game. But there's a domino effect for the next day and the day after all that. And I'm just left at the the end of all that saying like, what was the point? Was it worth it? What exactly did you get out of that? There were so many parts of that that could have gone south and really been ugly. Thankfully, it didn't. But what was gained from any of that? So I would say a few things. Number one, the whole bean brawl thing is immature. I think everybody understands that. It is foolish. And if you ever try to articulate it to someone who isn't a baseball fan, you get laughed out of the room. Like, what are these people, six years old? But sometimes they are. But I think a few things. So If the Nationals were a contending team, I'd be more concerned about the bullpen thing because it literally doesn't matter whether they win these games. Honestly, I don't care. And I'm guessing that a lot of other people aren't that invested in that. Now, I understand, like, what's going to happen the next day and the day after that with a bullpen? But because the Nats season is done, you know, I don't know that it really matters at this point what happens with the bullpen. But the other thing is this. The Nats didn't start this. The Braves started this. I mean, if we agree that Will Smith purposely threw at Juan Soto then you have to say, all right, you're the Nationals. You have one of two options. You can just take it and eat it, or you can do something about it. And right or wrong, the Nationals years ago had a reputation for being soft and for taking it and never dishing it back. If you as a Nats fan can't recall the Nats being involved in situations like this, it's because they rarely have been involved in situations like this. And again, it's immature and silly, but 
there are people who take that as a sign of weakness. So if you're the Nationals, what are you left to do? I mean, it wasn't um, it wasn't Alex Avila who got hit on Tuesday night. It was Juan Soto. So you you know if you go by the thing of you got to protect your guy, then I get what the Nats did. I don't like it any more than you do. Okay. And Freeman doesn't deserve it. You're right about that. Freeman's a good dude. We saw that with him again, like walking stride for stride with Soto at the end of the bottom of the first. I still can't get over that. I just find that hysterical. But I don't know what the Nats were supposed to do. So like, it'd be one thing if the Nats initiated this. They didn't. And unless you think that Will Smith accidentally hit Soto, I can't say that I'm mad at Nolan for doing this. I find it really funny that Davey after the game says he's never told anyone to throw at anybody. I find it really funny what Nolan said to you guys after the game of it was a humid night and the ball was slippery and rosin doesn't do much for me. And so I wasn't intentionally throwing at Freddie Freeman. Nobody on the planet believes that. But it's kind of like, yeah, I get where Nolan was coming from on this. Yeah. And look, I absolutely get it. I've covered baseball for 20 years. I know how this stuff works and I understand the mindset for it and was not surprised at all that it happened. I think everybody's sort of your antennas up a little bit knowing what happened the previous night and thinking, well, let's see, maybe something will happen tonight, especially when Freeman's at the plate. It wasn't shocking or surprising or any of that. So I get it. And I agree 100% that this started with Will Smith. And if he doesn't do his thing, let's point this out. Okay. He has had opportunities to throw at Juan Soto in the past since the issue last year. Remember, Soto also beat him on opening day, the walk-off single. Smith, the lefty sets. Runners lead first and second to pitch. Swing and a line drive into center field, a base hit. Robles to third and gets by, punch into the wall. Robles coming in to score. And an opening day, Curly W is in the books. He's faced him, I think it was three times in between since then before Tuesday night. Did not hit him in any of them. Why? Because they were all close games in the ninth inning. For the first time on Tuesday, they had a three-run lead, and he wasn't in danger of blowing a game by throwing at him. So I think it's absolutely fair to question the motives there. And I think the Braves probably sensed it as well and weren't real happy with him for it. And I think Freddie Freeman is the best example of, of what clubhouse leadership can do. He understood that Will Smith's actions put himself in danger and weren't going to be good for a team that is in the pennant race and is in first place and can't afford to have anything go wrong because of something silly like that. So I agree. I get all of that. It just boils down to I don't think I, as someone who doesn't play the game, will ever really understand that mindset and agree with the process of doing that because it can lead to some really bad things. Thankfully, it did not in this case. But it could have. And we have seen it in other cases. Remember, Michael Morse's career ended because of Hunter Strickland being a hothead and holding a grudge against Bryce Harper for four years, you know, ended Morse's career. Again, thankfully, this one, nothing like that happened. But it does happen sometimes. And that's where I've always thought it's such an old school mindset. And I just I'll never truly get it as somebody who doesn't play the game. I think what's funny about this, too, is that Nolan is the guy who does this. There's a line in the movie, The Breakup pretty funny movie with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. And I I won't quote the line because it includes an ethnic slur, but it's basically, we're talking about people without a future. Like the idea being when you don't have a future, you don't care, right? So here you have Sean Nolan, another one of these many like vigilantes on the Nationals this season, right? Sean Nolan's not some top 10 prospect. Again, hasn't pitched in a major league regular season game since October, 2015. 
He has no idea what his career has in store for him beyond this season. He doesn't care, man. He's just there to play in the majors this season. So he doesn't give a you-know-what. So he's going to do whatever he has to do. You know what I mean? Like, this wasn't Josiah Gray who did this on Wednesday night. This was Sean Nolan, you know? This is a renegade. This guy is not supposed to be where he's at. So I just, I found that part of this whole thing pretty comical. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate, He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflicts. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you. And that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call them today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the pitch. 
Swing and a line drive left field. Hernandez coming in. And Yadiel Hernandez makes the catch. And bang, Zuma. Curly W's in the books at Truist Park in Atlanta. Kyle Finnegan records a save with a scoreless bottom of the ninth inning. And what a win for the Nationals with their starting pitcher ejected from the game. And the Nationals score enough runs to beat the Braves and even the series at one apiece. Of course, the beauty of this with the game is that the Nationals responded. And you mentioned it in a season in which we have seen the Nats bullpen look great at times and then atrocious at other times. The Nats bullpen had maybe its shining moment of the season in this game. Six Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in eight and two-thirds innings with 12 strikeouts. Patrick Murphy, Andres Machado, Mason Thompson, Austin Voth, Wander Suero, and Kyle Finnegan. Now, not everyone was great. Uh, Andres Machado gave up a homer to Adam Duvall. We saw Austin Voth give up a homer to Eddie Rosario, and that was a game-tying solo shot in the bottom of the sixth to tie the game at two. But you saw Mason Thompson look excellent, scoreless bottom of the fifth, with two strikeouts, a four-pitch strikeout of Freddie Freeman, a three-pitch strikeout of Adam Duvall. You saw Patrick Murphy look excellent, two and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts versus two hits and no walks. You saw Wander Suero look excellent, one and a third perfect inning, striking out Adam Duvall on three pitches for the final out in the bottom of the seventh and then tossing a perfect bottom of the eighth. And we saw Kyle Finnegan do well again, scoreless bottom of the ninth, which he began with back-to-back strikeouts at Jock Peterson and Ozzie Albies. Finnegan had his velocity peaking around 97 in that ninth inning. What a job by the Nats bullpen. I thought it was quite fitting that the final batter of the game was Freddie Freeman. Yes. Because of course, of course it was going to come down to that. You just knew that was going to happen. And props to Finnegan. That was an impressive ninth inning for him. The hit he gave up was a little bleeder to an open right side of the infield. Not his fault at all. The homer that Voth gave up was on a pitch that was like less than a foot off the ground. I still don't know how Rosario hit that one out. I can't fault Voth for that one at all. Machado gave up a homer. But I mean, (laughs) we talk so much about how on these nights where like three Nats relievers pitch well and then one has a blow up. I can't find fault with any of these guys in this one. That was a superhuman effort under the circumstances. Suero gave up two rockets of line drives. But one of them was right at Josh Bell. The other one was right at Carter Keboom. So hey, it all worked out. Good stuff all around. They took what was about as difficult a situation as you're ever going to get, taken over with one out in the first inning against a very good lineup, and they put together one of the best collective performances we've seen in a long time. So props to them. I don't know who's available for Thursday anymore, but they did what they had to do to win this game. And so I, I give them all the credit in the world because that was a tough, tough assignment. Yeah, really good job by the Nationals bullpen on Wednesday night. The other thing in terms of like a postscript to the Sean Nolan, Freddie Freeman situation was that Juan Soto ended up murdering a baseball, okay? This was an assassination of a baseball on Wednesday night. Soto in this game goes two for five with a solo homer, a single, and a stolen base, and the solo homer was something else. Top of the seventh, a towering two-out, go-ahead, solo blast to right field for a 3-2 Nats lead. And Soto just destroyed that baseball. The home run going up projected 462 feet per stat cast. And then the best part, he, after the home run, blows a kiss toward the Braves bullpen, presumably at Will Smith, although he has happened to say otherwise after the game. What did Soto have to say? 
He says that it was directed at the fans sitting out there who were yelling at him <laughs> all game. He's showing love to my fans in the stands where they are over the bullpen. They were yelling me the whole game, so I just showed a little love to them. Again, you know, you take these guys at their word or not, you can decide for yourself who you want to believe in any of that. But what I was going to say, and I, I was going to mention it right off the top, but I'll mention it now because we're talking about him. To me, the best revenge is what Soto did. That's how you get the other team back. You beat them. You hit a ball 460 feet. You, you know, and I'm, I'm blowing the kiss. That's fine. That, you know, that's celebration. That's good. I'm, I'm fine with all that. I, I love the way he responds to this stuff. He could have gotten a hot head about it all and done something really stupid, and he doesn't do that. We've seen other superstars around here over the years perhaps let their emotions get the best of them. Juan Soto doesn't do that. He channels that into his performance at the plate. And I loved the way that he responded to that. To me, that's the way you do it. That's the best revenge right there. And he's got 25 of them now in the season. So does Josh Bell, who also homered. And Soto, for all the lack of getting pitches to hit, he is still taking advantage of the ones he does get, hitting them with authority. That, honestly, to me, was the highlight of the night. I thought that was the best moment of the whole night, Soto's homer. It was some shot. Juan Soto is the best hitter on the planet. And I think what is particularly delightful about what Soto did and honestly, why I didn't mind what Nolan did so much is that these are the Braves, okay? And I don't like the Braves. And I'm guessing that a lot of people listening don't like the Braves. I'm sick of the Braves. I'm sick of all the Braves' success. I'm sick of the Braves' whacked-out start times for their home games. I'm sick of the Braves back in the day when they used to try to be the lords and emperors of baseball, and Brian McCann would try to teach people lessons. So you know what? If the Braves get roughed up a little bit in the game, it's not the worst thing in the world. And to see Soto do that, and then that kiss that was so good from Juan Soto. And it's funny to me that he gave you guys that post-game explanation because Soto on Masson after the game in his chat with Bob and FP basically admitted that Sean Nolan threw at Freddie Freeman on purpose, okay? Like he basically said, yeah, you know, I understand that's part of the game. And like, he, he didn't try to say, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that was on purpose or anything like that. Like Soto got it. He understood it. There's a reason Soto was talking to Freeman at the end of the bottom of the first inning. So Soto understood it. And to your point, he does keep his cool. He is so mature beyond his years. He also had a two-out single and a stolen base in the top of the ninth. The Juan Soto, major league leading on base percentage at 449. You mentioned Josh Bell homering. That was a good-looking shot. Top of the fourth, a leadoff first-pitch homer on a bomb to right center field to give the Nats a 2-0 lead. That home run going a projected 431 feet per stat cast. So two mammoth homers on Wednesday night by the Nationals. Top two home run hitters. Bell also working a two-out five-pitch walk in the top of the ninth. Bell's been drawing a lot of walks lately. Been good to see that. The uh, Josh Bell OPS for the season up to 804. And you mentioned both Soto and Bell having 25 home runs now. Each guy finally has tied Kyle Schwarber for the team lead in home runs. Kyle Schwarber, for all these months, has been the Nationals' number one home run hitter on the year with that nuclear June we are on the doorstep now of finally being able to say Juan Soto or Josh Bell is the Nationals' home run leader this season. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and project that both of them will get over 25 Yes, before it's all said and done. There's, what, 23 games to go? I would hope that they both get a chance. It is interesting. They seem like they're doing this in tandem, though, a lot. There's a little bit of uh, anything you can do, I can do better between them. And that's maybe helping them you know, get through this a little bit. And we've mentioned this. I really think that what Bell has done now for a while that it matters and it's helping give Soto more opportunities. 
all that concern about is he good enough protection, a good enough guy to have behind him in the lineup. I think we can say that he's absolutely good enough. That has turned into a really nice 3-4 combo on a team that, you know, we didn't really know if they were going to have that. And Juan even said that it feels like kind of comparable to the way that it was with Rendon two years ago. That's some pretty high praise to put Josh Bell in that category. So those two have absolutely held up their end of the bargain. And I would imagine there's going to be more of it before this is all said and done. I'm really interested to see where Josh Bell's season numbers end up at the end. He could get close to 30. He may even get to 30 homers. RBI is going to be up over 90. Batting average, maybe around 260. OPS well over 800. This is going to end up being a really, really solid season for him, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad 3-4 combo. Or, you know, if you eventually make it a 2-3 combo, whatever you want to do. Like, those guys as two of your premier hitters in a lineup, two of your premier run producers in a lineup, that's not terrible. I mean, the, the concern has always been, like, what's beyond those guys. But as we've noted, and I did a whole thing on this on the last installment of the podcast, the Nationals are hitting. The Nationals, statistically speaking, are one of the better hitting teams in the National League this season. I feel like that's kind of snuck up on people, but the offense really isn't the problem. Like at the end of the season, we're really going to look back on this and say the pitching was the problem by miles. The offense really has not ended up being that much of an issue. And it does continue to be guys beyond Bell and Soto who are hitting. We're seeing improvement from Luis Garcia. Luis on Wednesday night and a Nats one run eighth, a two out RBI ground rule double to right field to give the Nats that 4-2 lead. Luis Garcia now is nine for 27 over his last seven games. And of the nine hits, Six are extra base hits, five doubles, a triple, and three singles. You know, we're seeing some growth here from Luis Garcia. Yadiel Hernandez continues to hit, gets on base three times on Wednesday night, a single and two walks. Yadiel now has a 342 on base percentage on the season. So we're seeing some good stuff from guys not named Soto and Bell. Yeah, and I like how Garcia keeps hitting lefties. That's a great sign. I know he's still got some improvements to do against the righties, but if you're already a 21-year-old left-handed hitter who is hitting well against lefty pitchers, that's a great place to start from. You know, they can work with the other stuff. It's hard to teach having success against the lefties. So good for him for that. Yadiel just keeps hitting. And all those times we asked, like, should he really be playing or not? You know what? Yes, he should be playing. He's the best they've got right now. And that's fine. He's not blocking anybody else. He should be playing. I'm fine with him hitting fifth. That's been good. Escobar is... I know he didn't in this game, but he is getting on base. He is getting hits for them and doing so in a manner that is helping set the table for Soto and Bell. There's a lot of good stuff going on offensively. And I think if the pitching staff was doing its end of the bargain, we'd be talking a lot more about how this lineup actually is being pretty productive and, you know, winning them games ultimately. Good to see Kebert Ruiz back as the Nats starting catcher on Wednesday night. He had missed a few games due to a right knee bone bruise that was suffered in game one of the doubleheader with the Mets at Nationals Park on Saturday. You know, not a hit for Ruiz. He's had a rough time of the plate, but he does get on base a couple of times. He did draw two walks. It was good to see that. And interesting night for Lane Thomas. He's cooled off a little bit here lately. Uh, you look, even Mike Trout has some slumps, okay? But Lane Thomas on Wednesday night, 0 for 4 with a walk, and he went 1 for 2 on stolen bases. So first of all, The Nats score one run in the first inning, and this is pretty cool to see just because we don't see it often, and that was like a true manufacturing of a run. Lane Thomas in that top of the first inning reaches base via a throwing error by Braves third baseman Austin Riley, then steals second base, advances to third on a Juan Soto ground out, and then scores 
on a Josh Bell ground out. That's pretty good. That's squeezing every last drippity drop out of a plate appearance in terms of, you know, you get on base by an error and then you end up scoring with, you know, no hit actually coming after you get on base. But then you also had this top of the ninth inning, Lane Thomas lead off eight pitch walk despite having been down in the count at 1.02. Okay, that's good. You know, you turn a bad hole into a productive plate appearance. But he then has a base running blunder that is as bad, if not worse, than anything Victor Robles ever did, okay? I mean, fair is fair. If we're going to rip Victor for when he does stuff like this, it's only fair we rip Lane Thomas. Runner goes. The pitch swung on and missed. Here's the throw on one hop. And why did Thomas stop? He's tagged out by all these. You know, he doesn't know the rules. He saw a foul tip, and a foul tip caught by the catcher is in play. And, it, you know, he he had the base running mistake on the last homestand when he didn't retouch second. He heard the foul tip and assumed it was a foul ball. Wow. But Nobody when a foul tip foul. is caught by the catcher, that's in play. He gets caught trying to steal second base in the most bizarre of ways as he slows down while running towards second base. I guess he thought that the pitch had been fouled off, but he was wrong. And he ended up being out by a mile, didn't even slide into second base in a tight game. I mean, if you're really invested in the Nationals winning this game, that's a pretty big moment for Lane Thomas to get tagged out like that. Yeah, it absolutely was. And the ball was fouled off. It was a foul tip right into the catcher's mitt. And that is still a live ball. That is just a strike. It's not a dead ball, foul ball. And uh, I'm sorry, you're a big leaguer. You have to know that. Or at very minimum, finish the play. Finish the play out, slide in, and then let the umpires sort it out and tell you where you need to be or whether you need to go back to first or whatever. Don't ever just leave it up in the air like that. Don't ever give up on a play like that. And this is now two in the last week. Of course, there was the rounding second having to turn around and go back when the ball was caught and not realizing he needed to step on second to retouch it on his way back. These are some basic fundamental mistakes that a leadoff hitter in the big leagues should not have to be told about. So that is a problem. Look, he's been really good in a lot of ways. It's been a revelation for them. But these are things that have to be cleaned up. And you hope that you know, once it happens the first time, he's not going to make that mistake again. But that's two troubling mistakes on his part on some very rudimentary stuff that any big leaguer should know. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games, You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Hey Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. 
With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. All right, game three for the Nationals at the Braves. Thursday night at 7.20, Eric Fetty is the starter. Now remember, the Nats don't have a scheduled off day until next Thursday, until September 16th. So any notion of, well, the bullpen can rest on this day, unless there's a rainout coming up, uh, the bullpen's got to be ready to go here unless a national starting pitcher consumes some innings. Is Eric Fetty up to the task of consuming some innings? He's not been pitching well lately at all. You could actually argue right now he's the worst starter in the Nats rotation because at least Corbin has shown a little bit of uh, you know signs of life here. Fetty's in a bad way right now. And he's really struggled with the Braves over the years. They've had his number a lot. So no, I would not go into this one counting on a deep start from him. And that's why, like I mentioned at the top here, that we may see Josh Rogers instead of holding him back for the Pittsburgh series to start. They may need him in some kind of relief appearance. And again, if Nolan is available to them, either because they keep him on the roster or he's not suspended, anything like that, you may have to put him back out there because he only threw eight pitches. So obviously his arm is fine. That would be kind of a fascinating little uh, dilemma if he comes out to pitch and is facing Freddie Freeman one day later. So I don't know how it's going to play out. I think they were probably burning the midnight oil in the coach's office trying to sort through this and figure out what they want to do. Obviously, a nice start from Fetty would go a long way, but given the track record, everything else, you certainly can't assume that. So be prepared for anybody and everybody to have to pitch on Thursday to get through that game. Well, Jordy Mercer just started a rehab assignment. Maybe they can summon him and uh, have him eat up some innings like he pitched earlier this season. Eric Fetty, over his last 12 starts, ERA of 663. Things have not been going well. All right, I have to make mention of this. Did you know that the induction ceremony for the National Baseball Hall of Fame took place on Wednesday afternoon. I didn't know this. I realized it on Wednesday morning, (laughs) okay? Now, I'm a Hall of Fame voter, and I did not realize it until Wednesday morning, and that's not a great sign that this is where we are. (laughs) This was embarrassing. This was really, really bad. So you did not have an induction ceremony last year because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Nobody in terms of the new candidates was elected this year. So you only had the 2020 class to deal with. In the 2020 class, you had the likes of Derek Jeter and Larry Walker and Ted Simmons and the late Marvin Miller, who should have been in years ago. You actually had in attendance Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing because they're boys with Derek Jeter. And the National Baseball Hall of Fame, and we should make this clear, MLB doesn't run the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is a separate entity. I would think MLB has some say-so, but it's, it's the National Baseball Hall of Fame. They do this ceremony on a Wednesday afternoon in September with most, if not all, school districts having started up. Like, maybe, maybe you could justify this in the middle of July or August when people are off. But with schools starting up on some random Wednesday as football season is kicking into gear, I mean, this, this was the day before the start of the NFL season. What were they thinking? I mean, we kill MLB all the time for like seemingly going out of its way not to market itself well. What was the Baseball Hall of Fame thinking and doing this ceremony on this Wednesday afternoon? If you and I didn't know it was going on, who did know that something like this was going on? Well, I guess they just didn't have a, another schedule to announce on a random Wednesday yeah, in September. exactly. 
because that that was more fitting of uh, of this. So I don't know all the details, but a little bit of background here. Traditionally, the ceremony is held on a Sunday in July, late July usually, and that too you could say is an issue because it's happening as a ton of games are being played. And I've always thought to myself like this should be happening when there aren't games being played. Either maybe have a Sunday night where there is no ESPN game. And this is what is broadcast instead. So everyone in the baseball world can watch it together. Or how about, you know, the day after the All-Star game, something like that, where there's nothing else going on. Now, I guess the Hall of Fame, because they wanted fans to be there, and back in July, that they weren't confident that that was going to happen. It was going to be like a virtual ceremony or very limited ceremony. They felt like pushing it back was going to allow for more. So they did that, which, you know, those those are all good reasons why it couldn't take place over a weekend. I don't know, maybe because they knew that football season was starting and they didn't want to go up against that. But then why couldn't it be at least in prime time instead of in the afternoon? I don't know the answer to that. Again, this is the Hall of Fame that decides this officially, not MLB. It's disappointing. And not that they don't all deserve their moment in the sun, but I mean, you're talking about Derek Jeter, you're talking about one of the most prominent players elected to the Hall of Fame of the last 20 years. And that's how it happened. I thought it was really odd and surprising and disappointing that that's the, the manner in which it took place. Compare how the NFL does things with MLB. Compare how the NFL does its schedule release with MLB. Compare how the NFL does its Hall of Fame induction ceremonies with MLBs. And neither and the NFL nor MLB run the Hall of Fames, but you get the idea. The NFL Hall of Fame induction ceremony every year, it's a Saturday night you have the Hall of Fame game, that first exhibition game the following night. It's a thing. It's a weekend. People watch it on national television. You know, compare how the NFL does its draft to the MLB draft, which at least this year MLB tried to make more of a thing. And actually, the ratings were excellent. They started it on a Sunday night, did a pretty good number. But like, you've got to sell yourself. You've got to try to sell yourself. And you can't just say, well, you know, it's baseball. or Well, you know, it's 162 games, so it's apples to oranges. It is, but that doesn't mean that you don't try and with the Hall of Fame, right, this is supposed to be the greatest honor. Like you said, this is a pretty star-studded class, especially with a guy like Jeter, you know, New York, right? MLB always bows down to the city of New York. How do you bury this on a Wednesday afternoon? I don't get it at all. And uh, it's really bad. And MLB is guilty. Uh, baseball, I should, I should stop saying MLB. Baseball is guilty of this stuff all the time. And, and this is like another one of these things. This is almost like a joke that they do this on a Wednesday with schools having started. Could you have picked a more mundane day to have done these ceremonies. No, no, you couldn't. And if I'm, you know, a Yankee fan, when I've got kids who, you know, saw Derek Jeter right at the end of his career, and he meant everything to me as a Yankee fan over the 90s and the 2000s, and like, hey, we're making the pilgrimage up to Cooperstown to see his induction. This is going to be a once in a lifetime moment. Oh, no, wait, we can't because the kids are in school and we're doing this at one o'clock on Wednesday. Like, what? Like, what? <laughs> That, that it it's completely counterintuitive. It just is. And again, I know this is a little bit of a strange situation because of the pandemic, and maybe they'll go back to, you know, that Sunday in July when they get back to on schedule next year. But I've always thought that was a little bit of a weird time to do it as well. There must be some reason they think daytime is better. Maybe the facilities there are not equipped with lights or something. I don't know. But to me, if you really want to do this right, you do it in prime time and you schedule it on a night when there won't be any other games being played. Own the night, get everybody who cares about baseball to have one thing and one thing alone to watch and make it the Hall of Fame induction. The other thing, too, with this year's induction ceremony was 
So it was announced months ago that there would be no fans. And it was right around that same time that the NFL uh, or the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced that there would be fans at that ceremony. And traditionally, those two ceremonies are like on back-to-back weekends. And this was at a time when things were really trending well with the virus. And so it was kind of like, why is the Hall of Fame playing this so conservative with having no fans for something that was months away? And so I wonder if because the Hall of Fame was so slow to welcome fans to this year's induction ceremony, that that meant that they had to push it back into September to allow for fans to make plans to come to the ceremony. If the Baseball Hall of Fame had been a little more open to having fans at this year's ceremony, you maybe could have done this at a better date. Who knows? But uh, it should not be this way. This got to be a better way than on a Wednesday afternoon on September 8th with schools having started. Well, you tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider subscribing. Subscribing costs you nothing. And also, if you haven't yet given the podcast a five-star rating or written like a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast, uh, we appreciate you doing that. Again, doesn't cost you anything. Doesn't take a lot of time. Helps out the cause that is the Nats Chat Podcast quite a bit. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. From Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we leave you now with a World Series voice memo, a tale of October 2019. This one comes to us from Richard in Toronto. Hey, all Mark and Tim. This is Richard from Toronto, Canada, longtime Nationals fan, previously Expos fan, and just want to share my memories of the 2019 World Series run with you. First, I just want to say thank you for the podcast. I remember when you guys announced that you'd be doing a daily podcast. I thought, well, I have MLB TV. I watch all the games. I don't need this. Well, it turns out that wasn't true. This is exactly what I needed and has really gone a long way in helping me reconcile what I've been watching for the last five months. So thank you, and I greatly appreciate that. So first, I want to share my memory of Game 5 of the NLDS. So I had to work at 7.30 in the morning the next day. So after the seventh inning, the Nationals are down 3-1, to one, and I've realized I've kind of had enough of this. I'm used to the Nationals blowing Game 5s in the postseason, so I figure, all right, I'm going to bed. I'm going to watch the rest of this in the morning before I get up to go to work. Of course, I have no idea what to expect. So I log into my MLB TV, and there's a little bit of a spoiler at the end of the screen because it tells me how long the game stream was, and I could see that the stream was really long, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So I pick it up in the top of the eighth inning, Clayton Kershaw's in the, on the mound, and, well, we know what happens there with the home runs, and then they tie up the game, and then into extra innings. Joe Kelly on the mound, Howie Kendrick hits the home run, and, well, let's just say I don't think I've ever been that happy at 6.30 in the morning in my life. That was amazing. I was trying not to start screaming. It was it was so good. And I have to admit that I did something similar in Game 7 of the World Series. There was a hockey game on at the same time that I wanted to watch. So by this point, Zach Rinke's still on the mound, and it's not looking good for the Nats. So I decide to switch off game seven and move over to the hockey game with the plans of coming back to the baseball game during the TV timeouts and during the intermission. So I start watching the game, the baseball game again during the first intermission and Howie Kendrick comes up to the plate again and hits the home run. This time, no cheering, yelling, screaming. I'm stunned. I cannot believe what I have just seen. I was just sitting there staring at the screen to the point where my wife had to make sure I was all right. 
And safe to assume after that, I didn't bother watching the rest of the hockey game, or I did, but long after the trophy was presented. That was great. And I had asked my boss in 2012 if I could go to the World Series parade, if I could have the day off if the Nationals won the World Series. He's a Blue Jays fan. He laughed. He thought that was ridiculous. There was no way the Nationals were going to the World Series. Well, I went back to him after the Nats won. Asked him the same thing. Turns out I didn't need the day off because the parade was on Saturday. But uh, I bought myself a plane ticket to Washington, flew down for the parade, took a 15-hour bus ride back. Ended up being 16 because of the time change that night. I got to celebrate, enjoy the parade. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to go back because of the pandemic. But I look forward to hopefully being able to do that in 2022. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my memory of the World Series. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks. Right-hander to the belt. The kick in the pitch. Breaking ball into the air to deep right center field. Eaton going back, way back at the wall. He leaps, and he makes the catch for the out. Up against the fence. Back to first. Goes Hernandez. Two out here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Eaton makes the play in a ball that would not have gone over the wall. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.